HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. back. Holy cow, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Half of America, all of America celebrating that fascist land acquisition game. Who knows, maybe Lady Gaga will go rogue at halftime. <laughs> Here's hoping uh, for some surprises today, but here we are at Arts and Seizures. More arts than seizures today for a change, Dave. Uh, I'm very excited to have uh, a guy I'm really proud to call my friend here. The, the absolute greatest pianist of our generation at the vanguard of the avant-garde our friend Matthew Ship, who is outs- as outspoken uh, uh, politically as he is outrageous on the piano, I call it uh, radical left-wing pianoism. How's it going, Matt? Great, great. I'm not outspoken. I, <laughs> dude, you I, are relentless on the social media. Well, you social you seem media. to have a little bee in your bonnet about the about the the president for one. I don't like the cat, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no person, no sentient being would. Well, that's. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, this guy. It gives me nausea, and there's not enough vomit bags in existence for the fluids I have for this man. Oh, man. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're going to talk about politics and music and separate the two. And um, you know, earlier, though, we're going to obviously we're going to talk about uh, the piano. We're going to talk about your, uh, your records and your amazing career um, as, as really like you know, an astonishing piano player. How can you um, have an amazing career if you play jazz? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> mama, don't, mama, don't let your boys grow up to be avant-garde jazz pianists. Uh, how do you do it? Well, I remember telling, when I 
did tell my father that that's what I wanted to do with this life. My life, I remember the look in his face. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember the long silence. And um, it, that's compounded by the fact that my parents were friends with a couple jazz musicians. My mother was really close with Clifford Brown. The great trumpeter. Right. And um, my father was really close with Lem Winchester, a vibes player that played with... Um, Ramsey Lewis, but Lem Winchester had also been a police officer, and my father was a cop, so they were friends there, and they knew the hardships of the jazz life, and you know that's straight ahead, let alone gone into this subgenre that yeah. you know that I'm supposedly a part of. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I, they they knew I was serious and had a lot of drive, and. So you, know, you can't stop somebody from doing something they really want to do. Well, this, that's, that's, that's right. Goddamn straight. You've got to be the man you want to be, not the man you were told to be. But um, who, I mean, who comes to these gigs? I mean, I can't. I'm a huge jazz fan. I have been since I was in high school. Uh, I love John Coltrane. I mean, I love Mingus. Like, the first time I heard it, it was like, holy shit, this is for me. Right. And of course, I was a drummer, so there was a good entry point for me when I was, like, you know, 14, 15 years old into Max Roach. Now, you pretty soon realize that Buddy Rich is square. That's not where it's at. Yeah, he sounds great on this Bud Powell. Yeah, so. yeah, we'll talk Bud Powell, you know, not my favorite. I got to be honest with really? you. I, I, I don't find those records to be very, very soulful, to be honest with you. Well, He's it's, not it's, my favorite. It's, it's, a, it's a very specific thing. If you don't go with that thing, I can I could see saying that. But but to me, Bud Powell is a – and I, I, this might feed into what you said. He's a mathematician of the highest level. And, and But it's, it's, it's a po- very poetic – Math that I mean, all math is poetic, but it's a, a very specific poetics mathematics to it. And you don't really love Bud with Bird, as you know. I wish he made more records as a side man, actually, right? Um, because obviously he's got the chops. He knows how to. Like, you know, you know, I mean, there's no question. His technique is unbelievable. But uh, but it's actually an idiosyncratic technique too. Because when you say that, it it, it it feeds into the idea of like a classically trained type of technique. But Powell's technique is as idiosyncratic as, as Monk's, actually. It's just a different... See, I, now Monk is probably, you know, maybe my all-time favorite piano player, because right. he's got that, look at it, looking at it sideways, it sounds like this fucked up kind of blues, it's like Picasso, right. Right. you know, it's like, it's, like, it's like he's putting like both eyes and the nose on the same side of the head, right, right. you know, like trying to get that note between the notes kind of thing. Right. Um, and, but that is, that is, that is, that sound, and it's not a lot of notes. He doesn't play, you know, particularly fast Monk. Right, right. Um... Playing fast is good, but maybe maybe it's overrated. I don't I don't know. Um, a lot of things are overrated under and underrated at the same time. So. <laughs> uh, well, how, so how did you come to playing like this? I mean, they call it free jazz. I hate these labels, honestly. Well, I don't really play free jazz. Well, you know, the best jazz, free jazz, in my experience, isn't actually that free. Right. And I don't mean the the ticket price at the Village Vanguard. Right. Uh, I mean, there's there's organization, there's structure, there are people listening to each other. Um, and yeah, you got to sort of listen to the, you know, to what's going on between the lines. But it's it's not completely free. People are listening and tuned in, and there's method to the madness. And right. uh, you know, maybe it's more the journey than the destination. But it's not that free. So how do you, how do you come to this though? Because you're not playing straight pop. You're not playing lounge music. You're not playing shopping mall jazz. You're playing well, something. Well, I've, I've done a lot of albums that are different. So I've, I've but I, to answer your question, I when I originally got into jazz. Um, from because I was in classical music before that, I my first entry points were probably um, like Oscar Peterson, and um, then I got into Phineas Newborn Jr. Then but and then um, Bill Evans, 
But, you know, I was like, well, go to the library and just read in the history of jazz. And, and jazz history is presented in a very, in the books, in a very linear fashion. You know, I mean, it, I, no, I don't believe in even time exists. So, you know, take that for what you want. But if you look at it in a linear time frame, the books go from, you know, ragtime to D- Dixieland yeah. to, to swing to bebop to cool to fusion. Hard bop to post bop. Yeah. And then, yeah. and so you just read it in the books. And I was interested in exploring the whole history. And then when I heard um, Coltrane made a very early impact on me, and when I heard that, I, I was kind of really. Um, entranced by that whole idea of what went on in the 60s, which is free jazz is usually considered a 60s phenomena. Well, I think free jazz and the free jazz movement was um, there's a lot of uh, freedom and liberation. There was a lot of militancy to it and as a political statement. From the writers. I, I, I mean, and certain musicians. I would say that's the case with Archie Shepp. Uh, Albert Eiler? Coltrane? Well, Albert Eiler was, no, Coltrane was just a musician. And I think Coltrane was really interested in spiritual ideas. I don't think like the whole political thing that like the Kosky book or and people put on him, I don't, I don't think that was really part of Coltrane's agenda whatsoever. I think he just was in the '60s, and but I I, I think he really was just a spiritual explorer. Um, Certainly, Mingus had a political agenda. I mean, well, Mingus song titles crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love the way Mingus plays piano. By the way, oh, that's a, yeah, I do too. I love oh yeah, maybe my yeah, favorite yeah. record, and that's you know, it's got um, starts off with you know, Lord, don't drop that atomic bomb right, on right. me. I mean, actually, my favorite piano playing on a Mingus album is in the town hall concert that Jackie Byard. I love Jackie Byard. I that, think he's one of the most underrated right. cats. But that that, that whole long. Um, um, Artatum, it's like that medley of styles, right? That, well, but what I like, there's on, on that one a Mingus album, there's like a really impressionistic kind of third streamy um, piano suite on there by Jackie Byer. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. I mean, he was a master. Yeah, yeah, he was great. I mean, he was a master. And I love that band especially because I love Eric Dolphy so much. And I, I mean, Dolphy is a side man of Mingus. I mean, to me, that was a band when he had, um, you know, Dolphy and... Uh, uh, um, Jackie Byard, you know, of course, Danny Richmond, but he held that band together for a while. Right. And uh, one great thing about Coltrane, of course, is was he held that quartet together for a while. He had, well, he had a serious that, connection. Well, how many years was three it? Or four, it three was, or four years. I mean, that's a jazz like, group that's a lot. Okay, but that's the great thing about Coltrane is is the amount of stuff he, all that stuff he did as a leader is basically in a, you know, six or seven, seven year period. That's immense. I mean, well, you, when you think of the great John Coltrane quartet, you think of that rolling thunder of Elvin. Jones right. and I think of McCoy Tyner, who I hear a lot of McCoy in your playing. Yeah, McCoy's actually probably, in some ways, biggest influence. I'll it. tell you what, let's, uh, when we play, um, this is from your uh, greatest hits record. Uh, <laughs> well, it's actually originally the cut your play is from an album called Pastoral Composure. Okay, good. Um, and it's a quartet with the late, great Roy Campbell on trumpet. And the trumpet's very lead, but um, I love this because you're, this is, um, you, you put the trumpet first on this track and it's really leading, you know, it's very rhythm driven and this is, you just, like, the rhythm is just very, very charging and I said before, it reminded me of the Coltrane rec- record Olay, which is just for the, the driving nature right. of it. But let's listen to Yeah, I don't solo on this cut so you don't really hear a sense of my pianistic language but we're gonna, we're gonna get to that we're gonna get to oh, that. No, oh, i mean it's not it's not necessary because it's, it's, it's a piece of music so. all right dave keep the mics on while we do this and obviously it's important because you chose to lead off this record right. with, with, with with this And it's the great William Parker on bass. 
who you played with years. Speaking of keeping bands together, David S. Ware. Right. I mean, you guys had pretty much the same lineup. Um, I think you dr- we switched drummers. drummers a few times. Yeah, but um, but it was you and William Parker. Right. I mean, for years, and that was a powerhouse motherfucker. Sixteen, band. sixteen years. Holy band. shit, was that a great band? I think one of the one of the great. Uh, Jazz concerts, events that, that I was ever fortunate enough to see was um, when you guys played at Columbia University. Oh, you were there? Uh, you better. There was Cecil played. Yeah, we opened for Cecil Roach, Keller and Max Roach. Was, which was unbelievable, but I thought the set that the David uh, Ware Quartet put forth that day. Yeah, that was, was supposedly one of our best sets ever. Dude, man, yeah, I blew my hair back, blew my skirt up. I mean, yeah. that was, it was very spiritualized. Yeah, that, you know, after all the years, because I left the band probably like a couple years after that, and that like all the years that I was in that band actually led up to that one gig and that and everything kind of went down after that gig but um it's just interesting that that gig was probably the apotheosis of the whole the whole experience I had with that band and it was absolutely absolutely fantastic I feel there was more jazz more fr- uh, free jazz meaning like <laughs> free not paying for it in New York at a certain time because I was remember I saw Alvin Jones was, was that was that gig days. free absolutely oh, it was, it was on the Columbia campus yeah it was on the campus there were uh, 10,000 people there. it was massive and it was great you know and it was like you know yeah, I mean, it was great for young people to come out because even curiosity seekers could come and dig it and get blown away without, you know, making a commitment at the box office, which right. scares a lot of people away. Well, it shouldn't. I mean, I mean, I mean you know, there's, there's nothing, very few things in life, you know, you, you, get, you, don't, you had to put something out to get it. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, but how do you, I mean, how do you get rock and roll the world is such a flatland of two dimensions right. of rock and roll and maybe R&B and maybe that delves on some roots music and I can't even get my friends to listen to Charles Mingus which is like which is like rock and roll it's like Ray Charles like like going awry right, you right. know it's like hypercharged and they hear jazz and their brains just shut off it's it's, I mean, it's it's American tragedy frankly right well but at the same time there's a lot of people into alternative culture there's a lot of people even though people are not into jazz jazz is is it's cool to be jazzy. It's just not cool to, <laughs> to really get into the substance of it. So, I, as a jazz musician, you're always dealing with the margins of that and trying to bring new people into it. Um, because there's always people looking. There are always people looking for things. I mean, that's there's that's a given. So um, it's just a matter of trying to find them, which gets harder and harder because the jazz music doesn't really get exposed on radio. There's less and less media outlets to talk about it. I think. Uh Actually, I think the problem is it's getting easier and easier, to be honest with you, because the discovery process has kind of disappeared with the Internet. I can push a button, hear five seconds of something without any investment, decide right. I don't like it on the spot, right. and move on. But but do people, I mean, but but still people don't go outside their comfort zones still with uh, that a lot of times, you know? You know, listen, I might, I might be, you know, an unusual type of, type of guy, and that, like, I have, you know, my curiosity was such that I would search these things out. Right. And the weirder and more far out, you know, the better. And, you know, they say curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought him back, right? Right, right. And to me, though, I'd go into New York and have to find, find you know, like, like a jazz record or finding a Howlin' Wolf record or a Muddy Waters record, you know, or an Aretha Franklin record was difficult when I was 14 or 15. I had to... You just couldn't turn on your, your, your the, you know, your computer phone right. and, and get access to it. I remember I brought an Aretha Franklin record to play to my friends in high school, and they said, "Why do you want to listen to some old black lady? What's right, wrong right. with you?" I mean, it just wasn't hip, right? You know? but, which is the other thing I was going to bring when you said people's minds shut down about jazz. I think people's minds shut down around anything that's not a part of their immediate social group. That's so you know, whether it would be um, 
like you said, some old R and B. If they're if they're just listening to, um, I don't know what people listen to today, but yeah, there was the Lady Gaga at the halftime show, dude. Well, I don't. <laughs> you know, did you watch Beyonce last year at the halftime show? Um, no, I missed that the Black Panther thing. Yeah, to be talking about uh, I was, I, politics. I, I, I was actually overseas on tour at the time. Well, you have an internet machine, right? right. So, I mean, it was an amazing. Well, I, I saw the, the I saw the. Um, Blowback from right. Well, it's it's an amazing. You should watch it. It's it's more avant garde than you would expect right. from you know this venue. How did she get that by? But yet, to me, there was no song. There was nothing memorable about it. Right. It was all about posture. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, all that stuff. But I can't recall the song. Right. No well, fucking memory of like. Well, what I, did, I, was I it's just there. amazing to me that, that somebody, um, kind of um, appropriating a few Black Panther things pisses so many people off. That was like. Really? I mean, Dude, we had a black president, man. You right. know, and that pissed enough people off to vote for you know the fucking you know ass fucking big clown face that's in the White House now. Right. Well, I don't. I, I, I'm trying to keep this upbeat. If we start talking yeah. about him, we're, right. we're going to go to well, a, let's very, right. a very negative place. Dave, Dave, let's play. So we're going to play a game. We're going to do. We're going to do the old-fashioned blindfold. I don't do blindfold. Style. Well, Wait. welcome to Arts and Seizures. <laughs> okay. But uh, hey, listen. I promise we're not going to. No, no. no uh, I'm not trying to play uh, gotcha here. Oh no, no. Okay, no, no, so um, just uh, play the play the first one. You know this, and we'll just talk about it for a little, a little while because uh, you're going to know this right off the bat. All right, hit me. <laughs> Cecil Taylor. <Taylor-Gay. laughs> <laughs> I can name that song. Oh, anyway, I don't. I don't. I, I used to listen to Cecil a lot as a kid. I don't. I haven't listened to one for thirty years. It's well, it's, it's disruptive. Right. Uh, you can you can uh, roll, roll, roll it down. To, you know, I love. I've seen Cecil Taylor play probably twenty times. Right. And at the time, it was hard to see him play. He didn't play a lot. Right. And right. you know, Cecil, I don't want to play in clubs. I want to play in theaters. And, right. You know, his demands for the piano. It's like I think at some point, okay, I'm going to play the Dating Factory. But right. well, let me just say one thing as an avant-gardist. I'm very the Cecil Taylor influence in me is very minimal. I've always purposely decided to stay away from him, just because he's just such a, a looming presence within. The, I mean, he's one of the creators of this whole thing. So I was very um, from the beginning cognizant of of going elsewhere. And um, there, there's so many aspects of Cecil that are that are very interesting. Um, I, I love when I'm listening to him, you know, just going for it. All of a sudden, you know, it sounds very, very free and, um, you know, splatter painting. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, that's like, that's like Duke Ellington. You're hearing that sort of come up. Or you start hearing him just start playing some blue notes, you know. Right, he right. slurs that minor third and it's like, right. okay, that's really cool. Well, I, I think, that's, a, that's a familiar place for me. It's right. Like, he, he was really into Horace Silver. It's one of his um, favorite. I mean, I, I would say Cecil's favorite pianist in some ways. Uh, and I, I don't mean to cut it between black and white, but his favorite white pianists were Lenny Tristano and Dave Brubeck. I'm not a Dave Brubeck fan, are you? Um, I, um, I, I, I mean, frankly. Well, I, 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 you <laughs> should check out some of his solo, later solo stuff. It's really great. And, and Brubeck's a little crazy. I mean, he's like a free associator. If you really listen to certain things, like little classical motifs are coming and then this, he's kind of crazy. I mean, it's like, and, and have you ever listened to the octet? Yeah, I've listened to a lot okay, of Okay, because that's, honestly, that's what really influenced Cecil was the octet, not the quartet right. with Paul Desmond. Well the, well, the quartet, and of course, I mean, yeah, Paul Desmond, who wrote Take Five, it wasn't right. even Brubeck who wrote it. But to me, Dave Brubeck still has this air of, it does sound very white. Can I say that? I don't even know what the fuck I'm allowed to say anymore. But he's crazy, though. And I I, I mean, but, there's like, if you really listen to him, like, he, he plays anything that comes into his mind I mean, on his solos. Take Five is brilliant, but it, uh, yeah, I don't know. But it's, whatever. It's, it's, but, what, it's, what, it's what, like, white people listen to when they want him to feel right. hip. You well, know? Uh, you know, it has its, it has its reasons for Raison d'etre, but I mean, Cecil really loved um, um, Horace Silver. 
And Monk also went, and Ellington. Uh, and the Horace Silver is really evident in his playing at times, um, especially in the really early stuff on Blue Note. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said about Cecil. <laughs> there, there certainly is. <laughs> I, 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 I was lucky I got to hang out with him a, a few times. I, I, feel, I feel sorry for you unless you're really in no, all-night marathons. With uh, well, that's what it was. It was right. a lot of cocaine and champagne. Yeah, and, uh, right, right. Uh, and, you know, I, I mean, love listening to his stories. And then about the third time we were hanging out, I thought I was going to get to play Theremin in his group, which was going to be like like the, like the apogee of my career. Right, didn't, right. didn't work out for various reasons. But about I mean, the third time, he sort of realized that he was telling me the same stories over and over again. Well, he's – I don't know how long this go, but now that he's – older that's what he does i mean and it's the same if you were hanging out with him five or six years ago it would be the same story yeah. that he sells in, in cycles you know yeah yeah i don't know he's, he's, he's a beautiful cat and i but i'm i mean like to me cecil taylor in a way i i can't listen to those records in my house because like i said they're too disruptive it's like for the same reason i don't have a jackson pollock hanging in my bedroom the energy is just all fucking wrong right and i mean for like for when you want calm right but right. as a spectator sport Right. I think this is something that people need to understand about so-called "quote unquote" free jazz. Is you got to go see it. You got to let it wash over. You got to take in the energy. People always say, "Oh, I'm not smart enough. I'm not going to get it." They say the same bullshit about. I was like my Richard Pryor white person voice, by the way. Right. Oh, I don't get it. You know, <laughs> like, right. it's like or they say it feels the same way about classical music. I'm not going to get it. So there's nothing to get. There's, go, oh, that's the oh, that's the thing. There, go there is nothing to and get. enjoy it. And you know. Well, people got, are afraid it was rock and roll is music that you react to, right. jazz and classical is music you listen to. Right. Well, I mean, I would say that you just got to resonate with the language, feel it. It's just about feeling the language. And then once you go with the flow and the, yeah. feel the language, there's nothing to get as far as like get, if you're sitting back trying to rationalize it in some type of or, or intellectual yeah. experience. It's really, it really is a matter of just feeling and resonating with the, the resonance of the language. I, I agree. And what you do and what Cecil does is very visceral. Okay, let's, um, next next track. Here we go. More fun. Now, this is, uh, there's no piano on this. Ornette. Of course. <laughs> and classic Ornette um, playing the blues on his plastic horn. I'll tell you what, so here's the Cecil story I love. Um, Cecil loves to tell a story about, like, you know, talking to Ornette Coleman, right. another guy who really branded himself as free jazz, very, right. very, very much so. And Cecil says, well, I, I told Ornette Poo. Right. That's what he calls him, Ornette Poo. Yeah, he doesn't like him. Yeah, yeah I said Ornette Poo. Even though he played at his funeral, though. You're, you're, you're just a diatonic player. <laughs> right. Right. It's like putting, putting him down for playing the blues, basically, right? right? Whoa, whoa, no. He always, I mean, Cecil always, he plays patterns. That's what Cecil said. He He's plays a, patterns. I said, yeah. You're just a diatonic player. Yeah. But I said to Cecil, I said, look, dude, we can't all play all the notes all the time. Right. And Cecil a laugh and that was like kind of cool it's kind of like when he's like having a well, last or- or- actually one of my favorite improvisers he's one yeah. of the most natural uh just, uh, he is a blues player i mean it's it's and that's absolutely the, that's the resonance player. of the language is 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 and blues is not a form blues is a f- essence it's a it's a re- it's a language it's a language resonant field and it's it's a feeling when you talk about a field you're talking in physics about an overall matrix and the emotional aspect of it, I mean, what is language? Language is communication. Physics. It's communication. It's, it's, it's telepathy. It's, it's, it's energy being focused into a, you, you say diatonic as far as put it into a scale form, but it, it's a discursive way of communicating. And it's, it's a field of emotion, resonance, and feeling and that's what the blues is not a form and I, I i agree and watching ornette coleman another one of the great greatest musical experiences i've ever had is watching the last 
um, quartet he had with with the two bass players. Right. One playing Arco, the other Pizzicato, that's bowing and picking for you uh, lay people and civilians out there with his son, Donardo, on drums. To right. me, this was an amazingly good band. Right, I mean, right. incredible. The two bass players, the work they did, it made sense. The the Boeing cello was able to echo the lines he was playing on his horn. I thought he played, you know, people say like when he picked up the trumpet, it was mocking Miles, but I think it was raspy and dirty and bluesy. Right, well, his trumpet sounds doesn't sound like Miles. No, no, it sounds like it sounds like it's from the gutter. And it's, I fucking well, it's, love it. No, his trumpet playing is out. I mean, that, his sax playing is like really, you know, kind of in the kind of between like a really blues experience and, and a po- what you can imagine a post Charlie Parker. Well, I'd say, I, you know what I said about it? I said this is like Charlie Parker trying to play Charlie Patton. Right, right. You, you, you know, I, mean, I mean, it was like it was like Beefheart esque the way he was trying to squeeze like what was really blues and like you know that song Ramblin' you know really through a bebop filter, but at the end. Still, right, right. it might be warped, it might be sideways. Um, next track, this is one of your main men, but maybe this is. I don't little, have any men. Uh, you don't got any men? No. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but let's see. Um, this is, you know, when I was looking to, looking to play something from uh, this artist, he tells, this is a track that I didn't know, but I kind of thought it was groovy. Yeah, let it roll for a second, Dave. I had to play a single note before I, because I couldn't figure it right, out. Right, but it's but it's not but it's not um one of his better known records. What, what album is this? I had this, never heard this. Is, it. I never. Uh, this is um this uh song is called Illusion. Um, I don't recall the name of the record. It was a double record of outtakes. It's one for one. One for one. Thanks, uh, Dave. Oh, <laughs> we were laughing for Dave. But just just to keep keep us up to date, what did Miles Davis have to say about um about <laughs> Cecil when he did his own blindfold test? Oh, I, oh that's right. This is right. Well, he said some very nasty stuff. He said, he said well, first thing he said, is this what the white critics are digging? This motherfucker ain't playing shit. Uh, yeah, the, what I have in front of me, take it off. That's some sad shit, man. <laughs> um, I love this Andrew Hill chick. It's very groovy. Yeah, I, I never heard this. It's, it's uh, Mickey Roker on drums and Ron, uh, Ron Carter on bass. Right. And this sounds like, like, the, like you're talking about the shape of jazz to come. This right. is like very almost chill out, hip hoppy in its way. Yeah, no, it's, it's 1969. It's got wow. a string section. It was a real discovery for me right. just when I was looking through something. By the way, there's an Andrew Hill album with, um, and I didn't hear this album growing up, but it's, it's with um, Alan Silva and Freddie Waits. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but it, it sounds just like me. <laughs> but I had never heard this album until, you know, people start saying, wow, he's, you know, this Andrew Hill. And I'm like, oh my God. Well, I've heard you talk about Andrew Hill as a guy that you, you really dug. Anyway, right. let's, um, let's keep it rolling because this is the fastest half hour on the internet today. Arts and Seizures, of course, streaming live from Bushwick on the Heritage Radio Network. Let's bring it up. We got um, a couple more. Um, and uh, here's uh, somebody nobody don't like. Yeah. What, what, what is this? This is the money, this is money jungle. Oh, yeah. This is, this is money jungle. I thought it was Mingus. And I was, I was like, well, yeah, and you were also right. Yeah. Also correct. <laughs> right. This, this was that great Max, trio session. Yeah. Roach, Mingus, and, and Duke, yeah. which is Duke's word. This is a great. This is fucking great. Yeah. And what did, what did Miles Davis have to say about this, Dave? Oh, he, uh, Miles said about this, what am I supposed to say to that? That's ridiculous. You yeah. see the way they can fuck up music? Right. It's a mismatch. Right. <laughs> Duke, go, brother. Yeah, I love hearing Duke in this setting, right? Yeah. Woo! 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I mean, Duke Ellington. Well, he's, he he's a, one of my very. He's, he's he has a, a very hero holistic sense of the piano. Really, I mean, he can create a whole cosmos, and it's 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 really fleshing out the whole piano as a uni- as a cosmos and as a universe. I mean, he can do little figures here, little trills here, and it's it's a holistic painting. I mean. Yeah, and I'll tell you, the, the, the highest compliment I ever heard paid to any human being was Captain Beefheart talking about Duke Ellington. He said, you know, he met Duke Ellington one time, and he was wearing a Rolex. He said right. it was crusted in diamonds, must have been worth like $50,000. He right. said, Duke's got so much class, that thing looked like a Timex on his wrist. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if there's anyone that I personally like would like to emulate, it's Duke Ellington. Well, he's he's like he's, he's one of the, the premier geniuses of the 20th century, so. without a doubt, and, yeah. and and apparently a real fucking mensch. Well, uh, he loved women. Yeah, oh, I, 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 he's like I think he's in a in the record book for having slept you know, with more women than any one person ever. Yeah, I think he said. I think it was about right. Cootie Williams. He said, you know, because you know he loved the guys as his band. He said, you know, these guys are getting old. They're like seven years old. Like, how could he play that good? He still hits that high note. Right. How could he do that? And Duke said, because he still thinks it'll get him laid. Right. Those are that that type of stuff is that. Those are the old days. But, you know, that type of musicians aren't like that anymore. No, and I know, it's, a, it's a, you know the sad thing. I mean, you know, I mean, what, like, what is the jazz scene now? Who's coming out to see 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 these days? People. People, All right. <laughs> people are people. They need language. They need. We're we're musicians. We're we're physicians of the muse. So they need they need the language. And we got to tell you what you're playing at the cutting room this week. Before. Yes, I'm playing there this Thursday, February 9th at 7:30 at the cutting room, which is at 44 East 32nd Street in Manhattan. East 32nd Street, the cutting room's new location. Right. Ship with your trio. Right. Which and it's a CD release concert for my new CD, which is called. Piano song, please check it out. Piano yeah. song is the name. Now, going to see matchup is, is a singular pleasure. Uh, we got to go. We got one more, uh, one more track from uh, on the blindfold test, and I think we're going to go. We're going to play a little something a little classical here. All right, because I know you're a fan. Of- oh, I, I know this, and I can't. Wait, wait, listen, wait for it. Wait for it. That's, that would be Bugs Bunny playing, playing uh, Liszt's Hungarian Rhapsody. Oh, right, right. right. <laughs> right. Okay, okay, I knew I knew the piece, but I couldn't think of it. Well, you know, great introduction right. to classical music, right. Bugs Bunny. And even now when I go to see the symphony, I describe it as the BBQ, the Bugs Bunny quotient. Right. If a guy entails his gesticulating wildy, it's right. a high BBQ. Oh, good. I got all the jazz ones, right? But <laughs> I, 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 you know, my... Okay, yeah, of course... <laughs> You're the carrot crunching. Yeah, he's yeah. Eating, you know, he's getting his gloves stuck and he's eating a carrot. Do you know who the pianist is? Oh, the actual pianist. Yeah, do you have it? No clue. Oh, I just wonder because sometimes is. But I can look it up on my computer. Yeah, I just, I, I just wondered. Um, but, but man, as always, it has been the fastest half hour on the internet today. I can't believe how yeah. fast this half. Matt, you got to come back. We got to yeah, yeah, this conversation. We did not. We've not talked about um, your secret love for Elton John, right? Which I share, by the way. Right, right. Uh, I'm very, I'm very. I'm well, very, Benny and the Jazz is one of the all-time space cadet. It's a fucking like, masterpiece. It's uh, things out of just out of the out of the the blue. Yeah, yeah. Like like we were talking about before, it's like this unprecedented. I mean, I don't even know. It's, is it pop? Is it R and B? It's the tempo is like right. impossible to duplicate. It's just and that riff. Right. Oh yeah. man, that riff. We haven't talked about rock and roll. There's so much stuff we haven't talked about. We haven't talked about wrestling. You're a big wrestling fan. Right. Um, well, maybe you'll come back to. Maybe we can talk about not WrestleMania. You know, right. we'll see how. Well, since Linda McMahon's involved with the Trump. Um, 
regime now. I, the WWE is, is is on my shit list right now. Well, you are you are a man of great principle to be able to separate <laughs> art from politics. Well, I can't. Such. If Donald Trump touches it, I uh, it, it's 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 tainted. Yeah, but did you like it when Donald Trump was the billionaire versus billionaire match? Yeah, but that, that was, was a good match. That was before he was. Um, Hitler. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe he was. He just hadn't um, well, that's before, reached the apex of his journey. Right. That was before we knew that, that you know, that these tendencies were going to actually affect our lives. All right. Well, as ever, it has been the fastest half hour on the internet today. Matt Ship, my guest today. Matt, thank, thank you so you. much for coming by. We're going um, to eat, eat, eat some pizza. Sounds good to okay? me. You know, which I'm sure you don't get when you're on NPR, like we always say here. Yeah. NPR equals no pizza radio. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Try to get Terry Gross to give you a slice of pizza. Not going to happen, my right. friend. All right. Uh, we're going to be back next week. It's Valentine's Day. It's the Super Bowl today. Who cares? But Matt, please come back because we got oh, about, to talk about the failed promise of Jazz Fusion. We haven't talked about Sun Rock. We haven't talked about MMA. We haven't talked about David Bowie. And right. we haven't talked about Henry Rollins, who you work with. He's a friend of mine, right? And that's right. So there's a lot of stuff. Uh, please come back. Mike Geddes for Art Seizures, David Booth, and everybody at Heritage Radio. And uh, here in Bushwick at Roberta's. We'll see you next week, Valentine's Day. Yeah! Yeah. Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.